What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here, and welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down, episode number 43.1, and we're continuing our playthrough of the spooky Halloween edition game, The Evil Within, Shinji Mikami horror game, stealth action game, where the stealth is not really good. At least for me, it isn't. And uh, with me, as always, is Matt. Hello. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> the evil within. Um, you know what? I want to talk about the stealth because we we run into a little bit of it in these next few chapters. We covered chapters uh, six through nine. Um, I'm on chapter ten. I think I'm about halfway through it, but I did not finish it. Yeah, I'm right at the beginning of 10. And um, the stealth in this game, the enemies are far too sporadic. They they don't really follow a set path, it seems like. They may. Are they too sporadic, or are we going through it at a pace that doesn't give you the time to watch their patterns to figure out when to strike? That could be part of it, but it seems like every time I am, it seems like every time I'm sneaking up on a guy, he always turns around. It's not because he heard me. It's because it's time to turn around kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm just like, the, it. there is no cover. The, I'm using a situation where there is no cover that is close enough to get to him before he turns around and starts coming back. Yeah. And I'm just like, am I supposed to stealth this? You know, that, 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 that brings up the question of like game structure. And I'm like, is it structured to the point where you're supposed to just kind of either run by this guy or just fight him or, or should I stealth this guy? But there's, there's a couple of ways to go around that. You can use the, the agony, uh, crossbow, uh, to, uh, shoot the, the, the light burst, uh, bolts at them and it blinds them. And when they're blind, you can do a stealth attack, which here's another thing. If they're blind and they can't see jack shit, why do I still have to go down into the stealth position to kill them stealthfully that way? Yeah. I wish to do that. Yeah. That's funny. Um, that, that, that was one of the biggest things that got on my nerves. Um, was like, I'd shoot the bolt. It blind like three guys and they're just sitting there like just, you know, holding their eyes. And I'm like, why can't I just walk up to a guy and stab him? But no, I have to crouch down and then stab him. It's so dumb. Yeah. I mean, I've had that same experience more than a few times where I'm coming up on a guy. I've got everything theoretically timed out well. And then he turns around at the last minute and then I'm sitting there like a chump just, and then he like waves his hands and hits me. And I'm just like, I thought I was doing that. Correct. But, (laughs) Apparently not quite. And the, the other thing along those lines that I find a little strange is why is it that every time you find a bed or a closet, you have the option to get in it? Like, I have had times where I've been seen when I was trying to be stealthy, but in those instances, not one time have I ever been like, oh, well, I'm going to go run and find a bed to hide under. No, I pull out a gun and I shoot him. Yeah. I wanted to save the ammo. I wanted to stealth him. But I didn't, so I pull out a gun and shoot him. Yeah, I, I don't know if that could be used for the harder difficulty. Where, it, uh, I mean, it, 
you know, the guys take more damage or you don't find as much ammo. Um, but yeah, every time I get spotted, well, it's time to fight, you know, um, that, that's basically how I handle it. Um, one thing, if it's like amnesia where you need to hide, but yeah, I mean, I guess maybe it's just cause we're playing on a medium difficulty, but there's so much, there's many places to hide in this game and I, I have not really found a use for hiding in them. I haven't either. Except that one time where they force us to. Yeah. In the tutorial. I don't I don't know. That's it's one of those mechanics. I'm like, I'm probably not gonna use this throughout the entire game. Um like like I said in the last episode he Sebastian is a little less of a badass than like, you know, Leon Kennedy or Chris Redfield, but he's able to hold his own. You know, the, the melee is useless. Yeah. And I, I have decided not to upgrade it because I'm like, fuck that. I agree. I have not upgraded it at all, but I have found it to be a little bit useful in as much as you can just stun somebody. So it's got a decent range. I'll say the melee has a decent range. And it does sort of knock them for a spin, which is enough time to back up, reload, and, and get your gun ready in case somebody's like right on you. Yeah. So I have found some use for it, but I have not put a single point into upgrading it. Yeah. I think that's going to be a waste. I um I fully upgraded the Agony Crossbow, and I think I, f- I fully upgraded his health all the way. I have one more. That last one costing 20 Gs has been too much for me to afford. Uh, uh, 25. 25. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very expensive. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. Is, there's, there's certain mechanics that kind of get on my nerves in this game. One of those is the stealth thing. The other one is checkpoints. So there's a part in chapter 10, which I know we're not talking about chapter 10, but I, this is a good example because I was playing it just a few minutes ago. There's a part in chapter 10 where you run into a, it's not a boss. It's probably like a mini boss. And, um, I killed it, and then about five seconds, for five, about a minute later, I was going to say five minutes later, but it wasn't five minutes. It was about a minute later, I got killed by a trap. And I was like, you know, and then it starts me back before I even activated the boss, quote-unquote boss fight. And I'm just like, really? You should give me a checkpoint when that thing dies. And there's been so many times I've got burned on that. I'm just like, oh my god, I gotta go all the way back through this again. And it, like, yeah, what you said last week with the whole, this is not really, you know, my game time in game is not really representative of the time that I spent playing this game. Yeah, definitely not for this. Yeah, no, not at all. Because there has been. My my end game time says nine hours. I guarantee you, I've already put probably twelve hours into this game. Yeah, I think I'm at about thirteen hours. Yeah, yeah. In game, I think it says nine or ten. Yeah, no way. Um, especially that one part where you got um Joseph following you around with the fucking axe. Oh yeah. Um, which he came in fucking handy there. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was actually something I wanted to mention. The first time I played that section, I was having a bit of difficulty with it. I'm like, there's so many guys. Where are they coming from? And uh, I'm like, well, at least at least Joseph is protected because we had gone up some stairs, and then he got stuck in a wall floating above the stairs so nobody could get to him. I'm like, good. He's over there. I assume at some point I'll beat this section and a cutscene will trigger and then he'll be out of the wall. Yeah. Like, it's a little bit glitched, but it's probably to my benefit. Yeah. But in the end, like, I, I die at some point and then the second time through, he was helping me so much that I'm like, nope, it's worth the risk. I'd rather have him not stuck in a wall. Yeah. Because there were times where I would lead zombies to him and yeah. be like, you take care of him. I was constantly doing that because he, he takes a little bit of wind up with that axe. But when he hits him with that axe, I mean, he chops him in fucking half. Yeah. I'm like, fuck yes. I'm not wasting a single bullet. <laughs> but the bad thing is that there's a boss fight right after that. Um, So there's this part where when you walk into a certain area, you're like in this open area. looks almost like adobes, like those adobe houses. Yeah. Um. And when you walk into certain areas in, on this map, uh, this big tower, the these guys that shoot the machine gun bolts, bolts at you, I don't know. They 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 like a, a a sheet comes up and they start shooting, and then the sheet goes back down. So you can't stay in that area, but then you have to also aim at them when the sheet comes up and hit them with the uh, the sniper rifle. Um, and man, it glitched like crazy on me on that last one because there was no box that he was in. It would just, the sheet would appear and he would appear in midair. And I'm like, I start shooting at him, but it's it. Every time my bullets would like hit something in front of him. So it was like the box was still there, but the box, you couldn't see the box. And I was like, how the fuck am I supposed to hit this guy? And I mean, I, I wasted so much ammo trying to kill him. I ran out of sniper ammo. I was, you know, using my handgun trying to shoot this guy. I finally got him, and then the boss fight happens. This giant guy shows up, and chainsaw, yeah, with the chainsaw. And I'm like, I have fucking nothing to fight this guy with. And there's not much in that area. No. So it was me running back and forth and chucking grenades at him. And, you know, multiple times I died because, oh, I stood next to the grenade too close, you know, and I blew myself up and shit like that. That was really annoying, actually. I've actually stopped defusing the bomb traps. Yeah. Because I hate getting into a level and missing that one click and then having myself explode to bits and having to start over. <laughs> yeah. That's happened to me so many times. I've actually got it down, though. But the thing is, they're not always in the same spot. Yeah, plus around, was it, chapter 3 or 4? They narrowed by about 50%. Yeah. And I was like, well, I've been defusing them. I've got, like, 25 trap parts now. Mm. So I'm good on the agony crossbow whenever I need to make a bolt. But, um... The other, so so the so as far as story goes, I don't even fucking know. There, I like seriously. I mean that that's the that's the thing is like, and this is what I was gonna get into, whenever before we started recording. 
is that I feel like I'm going through the motions with this game. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't think that's you. It's almost the way the game was designed. Yeah. Which is just to have a bunch of a bunch of encounters, a bunch of locations. They're not terribly well tied together, I don't think. No. And there's not much logic. So like, you know, since we were talking about writing, there's a there's a famous quote that says if there's a gun in scene one, it has to go off in the in the like scene three. You know, basically meaning that when you put things into the game, they should be there for a fucking reason. Yeah. And not just there to pad the length of the game. And, like, you know, I'm thinking the first thing we did was Chapter 6, which had sort of a mid-boss fight and then an end-boss fight. And they're there. They're cool. They're fun-ish. You know, moment to moment, I'm enjoying the game. But I don't feel like it's building to anything because I feel like everything is just sort of meandering and roaming. And maybe there'll be another boss. Maybe there'll be three bosses here. And it doesn't really matter how many there are. And it doesn't really matter what you do because the next location's not going to be related to this one anyway. Story-wise or logic-wise or, you know, it's it's so... It's so random, and the aesthetic ends up being very similar in many sections, again, as we mentioned last time. So, I I don't know. I get just a sense of detached involvement because I don't feel like things are progressing in any way that is building. Yeah. So, there is one thing I do want to mention as far as story goes, and it's it was actually at the beginning of Chapter 6. Um when um sebastian wakes up um it, it's like he's he's laying on a bed or maybe like a um like a hospital bed or something mm-hmm. and he sees a doctor standing over him doing stuff and the screen constantly flashes for a few seconds and every time it flashes the doctor changes to a different person and if I'm, I, I may be crazy, but every time it flashed, it looked like the woman detective. Mm. Very slightly for like a split second. It looked like her. I was like, okay, but I don't know. Who knows? Everything could just be misdirection in this game. I don't know. It did seem like at one point. In, what chapter was it? Maybe seven? Because seven took like, or six, was it six that took like almost half the time that I played this game? I think it was seven. (laughs) Yeah, it was, six was pretty long. Seven was another long one. I think it was in seven. It seemed like they almost explicitly said what the game was, as if it's not really a mystery. Yeah. Basically like, oh yeah, it's a, you know, the the kid who was the one and had the connection, basically, that was all happening in his mind, and we were all contributing to it, but it's mostly in his mind. Yeah, most of the things that we're seeing is in his mind, his memories, stuff like that. Um, 
and the things are being projected out. We're kind of like stuck in his mind, but we also have our stuff going on too. So Sebastian and everybody else who's trapped in here, some of their, some of their memories are bleeding over. It wasn't really said as if it was a huge reveal though. Yeah. That it, you know, it wasn't really meant to be a twist. It was just sort of, yeah, you probably all kind of figured this and here's what's happening. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. I know we learn a little bit about Sebastian's life um, prior to these events. Um, he got married to another detective um, and uh, had a child. And uh, the child, uh, unfortunately, died in a house fire. Um and these are all done through like notes and newspaper clippings and stuff that we find. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can't like, there's so many times where there's like a, a scenario that's happening and I can't figure out whose memories they are. I don't think we're supposed to know whose memories are like when you're in the burning barn. Yeah. I thought that was sort of Ruvik's origin there. Yeah. At the same time, I'm thinking, well, how the fuck old is Rubik? Because yeah. this looked like it took place in maybe the 40s. Yeah, it could have just been rural, generic anytime. That's true. Because it was a field of sunflowers, just a barn out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But, um, the there, there's a few things I do want to mention. The boss fight. Um, in the uh, poison room. Oh yeah, the guy, the the boss with the the giant guy with a safe for a head. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Yeah, it was certainly one of the most dread-inducing ones. Yeah, especially the second time you see, well, first and second time. And the first time, it kind of you, you see him come like. In, in the fragmentation that's happening is in his, in, I, I don't know if it was, I don't know what the fragmentation was specifically, but he sort of comes in, 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 in pieces that way. Yeah. And then the second time he comes as you're cranking up the wheel. Yeah. And basically I, I like that because you can't run away while it's happening because you're trying to turn this wheel. And he obviously comes up out of the ground and gets loose a second or two before you're done with the wheel. So you're sitting there like, come on, finish. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I do like how it's sort of a bit of back and forth there. And, and he's coming after you multiple times. And yeah, I, you're right. I, I, that was probably one of my favorite parts of the game so far. That was one of my favorite parts of the game, but it was also one of the most frustrating parts of the game for me. Cause I died so many times there. Mm. It was one of those things where I had to memorize where to go. I was just like, really? We're going to have to, like, I, like, I have this down to a method now, so now I know how to beat him. Because you, there's, every time you kill him, you can kill him. Yeah, you know I mean, it doesn't take much. Um, but you can kill him. And then, so there's, it's weird. So his head is made of a safe, like a miniature safe that's probably about the size of a head. And so you don't see his face because it's, it's like his, his head is inside the safe. Obviously, then wrapped in barbed wire. Yes. So, when you kill him, 
there's safes everywhere around this area. So when you kill him, he just kind of emerges from another safe with the head being there and just comes after you again. So it's like one of those things where you can't kill the guy really. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, when you kill him, another one pops up somewhere and it's kind of like, okay, you, you've, you've kind of saved yourself some time so you can turn this crank. And, you know, you have to do that multiple times and you got to find a crank because he destroys one of them. And the whole time he's just chasing you around. It, I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty cool fight, but at the same time, I was like, it's so frustrating because he, he would always catch me, you know. And the thing is, is like he'll hit you and you're going to this fucking stun animation that will last three seconds. And by that time, he's raring up and already going to hit you again. Yep. And I was like, man, come on, you know. So it, it was multiple times where I died there. But, I mean, it was kind of a cool looking fight. And I don't know. It's it, I like I'm, Chapter 10 is a lot of traps. You're going to run into a lot of traps and stuff like that. and um, You get a little bit, you get a hint of, of something, but not much. Um, and uh, chapter nine we is where we're in that mansion looking area. Yeah, like they, they certainly like to uh, build some of these chapters in sort of the old school plotting way, you need three things to open this door. Yeah. In the mansion, you have to, which I, I like the way they did it in the mansion, but it was a tiny little, like, with the little lobotomies. Yeah. It's a weird little quirk, but it, it's very clearly, all right, there's three locks on this door. We'll go until we do this three times and then go through the door. Yeah. But they did this sort of the same thing in Chapter 7 with the catacombs where you have to find the three little, three little plate like three little rock stones that fit in to to complete the face yeah but so it's... It, sometimes i like those but then on the other hand after I, as soon as i do the first one and i see that there's four spaces i kind of get put off because i'm like well all right i know this level's broken down into four sections now yeah unless, unless they change it up a bit you know again that that to me is sort of going through the motions because I'm not waiting to be surprised. I'm waiting till I do three more things of like I just did, and then I'll try to be surprised. Yeah. Then I'll expect to be surprised. There's been multiple times in this game where you will walk by something and I'll say, okay, something's probably going to pop out at me right here. And nine times out of ten, it does. Yeah. You know, uh, which I do have to say, I did get a scare in this one, and I should have saw it coming. So they've been fucking with us this entire time about the, the safe zone, the saving area where the nurse is. You're constantly yeah. going back to that. But now it's to a point where when you, when you wake up or when you go through the mirror, it will tell you, you know, you may not be in your bed and doing the whole, the whole spiel of getting up and then walking through. You may just be in the hallway or the nurse may be in a different area. And it's, it's weird how they're handling that. Yeah. But there's one time where I go, you go back to the nurse's area and she's talking to you. And now the place looks a little different. There's like pictures on the wall and shit like that. And she points to one of the pictures on the wall and you hold down X to kind of like zoom in at it. And pictures that come out of it. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a picture of like a family portrait 
and the kid in the portrait, his face has been like ripped from the, from the picture. And there's a hole there in the hole. There's like bugs crawling out of it, but they're like crawling over all over the wall and stuff like that. And then it gives you the option to do it again. And when you hold it down again, it zooms in even farther into the hole. And then you see Ruvik's fucking face pop up at you. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> I just thought it was going to be the same thing. You know, I was like, oh, it's just going to, like, it gives you that option to look at the picture whenever you want to. But no, no, the second time it was that. And I was like, God damn it. It's, it there's always some kind of cheap scare that always gets me. <laughs> and that one, that one made me jump out. Like, I'm playing with headphones on. <laughs> and. It's it it like there's been times where you you hear something. I tell you, bombs going off is what scares me. There's been multiple times where like either a a a monster runs into a bomb or I run into a bomb and I just hear it go off and I jump. I'm like, fuck, what what's going on? You know. Yeah, the thing that gets me is when I walk into a room and I hear the bomb like getting ready to detonate. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh shit, dot dive or or run if I know where it is. Sometimes I'll just run away. <laughs> and hope uh, hope that I can catch a zombie behind me. Yeah, there's been far too many times I just ran into a bomb. The, the trip the trip wires get me sometimes, especially in Chapter Ten. I got hit by multiple bombs in the trip wires in Chapter Ten. But yeah, I don't know what to say about this. Be honest with you. I mean, I don't want to go as it like a walkthrough. I mean, we just hit the high points, you know, the boss fights and stuff like that. But there is not much story going on. Yeah, and what what's what what story there is is basically just hints and flashes, and you know, I, I mean, the, I, I do really like the when you see the ghosts, you know, and the ghosts have these conversations that I, I like perk up for. Yeah. And when you get the flashes, I mean, I guess those still are the ghost sections, but when you start to get hints as to what the testing was that was done. But most of that is, you know, just 30 seconds here or 15 seconds here after like two or three hours of playing. And, uh, yeah, it's clearly not the focus. It's like sprinkled in there. There's just enough of it to keep going, but it's not terribly exciting. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm a little less uh I'm a little less convinced that they're gonna do something new and exciting with it. Yeah, that's that's my it's, issue. It's too much meandering. The the I think the biggest thing for me is the tapes that you're listening to, you know, whenever you find like a recording, mm-hmm. is that supposed to be Ruvik talking? Uh, that's a good question. Because the tapes are all about like the scientist going through like his, his experiments. And, you know, some of those are, are kind of interesting when it comes to like what he's doing to figure this stuff out, which is making me think is Ruvik because Ruvik is looking for this quote unquote match, this compatible person. And I don't, we don't know for what or, or, or anything. 
Yeah, do we think then that the the reason for the search is the big reveal? It could be. Um, I know that I'm guessing the girl that got burned up in the in the barn was Laura, and Ruvik is constantly thinking she's not dead, and he keeps talking about how. You know, she can't be dead and I got to find a way to bring her back or something like that. I don't know. It's weird. Maybe he's trying to, maybe he's trying to find somebody who can manifest their memories and then inject his memories into them so he can manifest like his sister back. Mm. Maybe I just figured this game out. I don't know. Because he he's constantly he's constantly obsessed with his sister, and how she's not dead, and he's trying to find somebody who can psychically project things out of their mind. Yeah, holy shit, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't sound terrible to me. I mean, it, that sounds like the kind of traumatic experience that could shape a person and they would probably in this type of a video game world do whatever they could to fix that right that wrong yeah huh well maybe that maybe that's what's happening i don't know so then rubik is, is tragic not not the terrible enemy yeah not not a villain per se okay you're the one standing in his way maybe we're the villain could be to be like, uh, what was that? I am Legend. Yeah, the actual I am Legend, not not the Will Smith one. I don't know. I I, I don't really have anything else. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to, I hate to be that way, but I mean, like I said, it's it feels like it's going through the motions. You know, I, like nothing is really standing out for me to, yeah. to for me to talk about. And, and, and that's true, and it does make it difficult to talk about. And it's giving me this feeling that when I'm done with it, I'm going to be happy to be done with it. Yeah. But on the other hand, again, moment to moment, I still think it's pretty fun. You know, I think they, they're they giving me just the right amount of ammo to where I have to conserve and I can't just go in guns blazing. But on the other hand, I have had at least the minimum that I needed to get through these sections. And, I'll, you know, I've died a lot in this game. But there hasn't been any one particular spot where I've died 10, 20 times, like in some games. I feel like this is a game where you die a lot, but you only probably die one or two or three times. Yeah. And, and you get through it. Like in Chapter 9, there, you know, after he turns into basically the, the blood man. Yeah. The end of that chapter, you have to go through that little maze where the walls are falling down around you. Yeah. I died like tw- twice there, I think. But I never really felt like I was stuck. It was just like, oh, shit, I made a mistake. Or, oh, I... I I swung at that chain and I missed it a couple of times. Mm. So it was like, oh yeah, it sucks. I'll have to repeat this part, but I'm not stuck. I don't consider this frustratingly stuck. So 
the number of times I get into a situation where I die one or two times is pretty high, I think, relative to most games. But the number of times I get into a situation where I die more than ten times is, I think, zero in this game. Yeah. I haven't been terribly stuck, even if my progression is slower due to the number of times where you, you, you just you don't really know what to do and there's a lot of one hit kills. Like when like it or in uh earlier in chapter nine when you're in the mansion and Ruvik just shows up. First time I saw him, I, I ran away from him a little bit and he touched me and instantly killed me. Yeah. So like, well, I'm not gonna do that again. But, you know, I I wasn't stuck even though I died. I mean it wasn't even really a problem. So I I don't know. I'm not getting frustrated playing this game. I'm just sort of wishing I was a bit more invested. Yeah, that's like, that's the biggest thing. I'm not really hating the game at all and you know, moment to moment I'm enjoying it. I just I feel like it's not building up to be something special. Well, the truth be told, I mean, a lot of Shinji Mikami games are like that, you know. Resident Evil 4 doesn't have that much story. You know, and it's about—I'd say it's probably as long as this game is. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're basically just going from moment to moment. And it's the same way with this one, except this time it's just kind of divided into chapters. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's one of those. Truth be told, like looking at like just how game development is, I think Mikami probably said. I like these settings, you know, I like the insane asylum setting. I like the mansion setting. Let's make a game where we have all these settings and we'll wrap it around it and it'll be part of the story. Oh, it's somebody's memories or something like that. Yeah. And if part of his desire was to go back and make a traditional survival horror game, you know, I I think it basically succeeds at that. It's just it it's not a it doesn't have the flair to be special to me. Even if I can point to like, you know, again, I am having fun in the combat in general. Uh, I do still like the way that different areas are laid out very differently from each other. Like I, some games you get that like corridor feeling where it's you know it's room corridor room corridor. You know the door opens when you kill a bunch of enemies and you know that to me can get very repetitive and annoying, but I don't get much of that at all in this game. You are doing different things in each section. And, you know, like we had talked about earlier, like chapter three felt almost dark soulsy to me. Well, the, the part where you're with Joseph sort of feels like a resident evil four or five section. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he does. I do have to say that this game does give you options. To to handle certain situations. Yeah, and and like that level with with your where you're with Joseph, and you can sort of early in the level, you can sort of see where you're going to be later in the level, and it's a bit more open again, and you can see that tower. You can actually see all of the boxes where the machine gun arrow guys are later on, and you know there's like a lot of platforms and a lot of ladders, and it. I had a very Resident Evil 4 vibe to me, which, you know, that I'm like, yeah, this, this, even as hard as this can be, and I don't know where all these guys are coming from, I was sort of enjoying the, just the variety of, of what you do in each section. Yeah. 
And then again, the combat, like, as I'm trying to conserve ammo, it's fun to blast a guy in the face, have him drop his axe, you pick that up, and then drop your axe into the next guy. Yeah. So, I, I, don't, I don't know, it's, it's a very strange game to, to enjoy every moment of it, but then not be very happy with the outcome. Yeah, it's I don't know. Well, like I hope something comes to fruition in this next the next few chapters leading into the end. You know, if they if they want to save all their story for the end, I'm okay with that. Give me some kind of story. You know. Yeah. I I'm 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 starting to fear that there's not going to be much. Yeah. But We'll see. I mean, yeah, I'll... and you've got things like the newer Resident Evils really put a lot of other things you can do. You know, I know they're a bit more actiony, and, and that sort of is in line with the idea of replaying levels. But if a game is not going to be, if I, it's not going to amaze me, but I have a really good reason to go through it again, you know, if, if I have a decent time with it. And then I can go through it again and have another decent time with it. You know, maybe it never reached any high peaks of excitement or originality or whatever. If I can have a decent time with it repeatedly, then that, you know, that, that could be another way that a game can be a really good game without ever excelling. Yeah. Does that make sense? How you could, you could have a movie that is the most original thing ever. Let, let's say The Sixth Sense. Movie might blow you away, but after you watch it the first time, watch it again to get to see what you missed. Yeah, it's not necessarily the kind of movie I want to watch every few months. That's true. And you know, and you could be like, "Whoa, that movie blew me away! I love that movie; it's my favorite movie ever." Or you could have a movie for me, like say, The Fugitive. Fugitive, it's not you know, it doesn't do anything hyper original. It's a solid story. It's well acted. It's got likable actors. It's got some good lines. But it, you know, it's it's a, it's a movie that's enjoyable, and I can enjoy that movie like every week of my life until the day I die. And so, you know, a a decent game that you play four times versus an amazing game that you only ever play once. I think there's merits to both of those being praiseworthy. Yeah. Which, you know, for example, Resident Evil 5. I don't, I was not blown away the first time I played that game, and I don't think it's an amazing game, but it is really replayable, and it's fun to play through with a friend. Yeah, I had a fucking, like, that was the thing. I played co-op twice through that game. Played once on the 360 with a friend of mine, and then I played once with you on the PS3. And the PS3, when we played together, I had a fucking blast. Yeah. That was a fun time. If that game never reaches a, a pinnacle of originality or or any other measure by which you would measure a game, you know it, it it's got a lot of meat on its bones. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't even know if that makes sense. But you know, th- this game on top of you know if it's going to end up being sort of mundane, on top of that, it doesn't really feel like a game that's going to drive me to play it again. The I think that's one of the things is that. This will be a game that I will play through once. Yeah. 
And the, the thing that would have changed that, and I think the thing that would have made this game even more enjoyable, even though it may have fucked with the story and how the game plays really, was that if this game was co-op. Yep. If this game was co-op, like, you know, you were playing as Joseph and I was playing as, as Sebastian the entire time, I think we would have a little bit more of an enjoyable time. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. It's weird. I think that's like the evolution of games, to be honest with you, is that you have a lot more fun with friends. You know, that, that was a prime example. Like I haven't played it yet. I want to, my old roommate still has my fucking copy, but until dawn, from what I understand, a lot of people had a great time with that by like passing the controller around. You know, uh, I do I do a chapter, then I give the controller to my friend. They do it, and I'd watch them do it. And, you know, it was it was a back and forth kind of thing. And I think that that I think um, games have kind of evolved that way. You know, a game that doesn't have co op, it needs to either have a, a a really good story or have some type of like you know, per, like RPG progression. You know, like I, like obviously I wouldn't want to play The Witcher co-op or anything like that. But yeah. it, games that have co-op seem to be a little bit more enjoyable um, rather than playing them if it was just a solo game. You know, uh, Borderlands is a good example of that. I played I played all of Borderlands 2 solo. And I guarantee you if I had friends to play with, I would have a lot more fun with that game. Uh, but, yeah... I mean, I, I agree 100% with that. But if your intent is to make a classic survival horror-style game, you probably wouldn't expect that to be in there, right? That's true. And if you're trying to compensate for that lack, lack of multiplayer or co-op or any other person's involvement, I w- and, you, and you don't want people to be like, this is shit. This is like Rise or, you know, or, or any other four-hour game. You, you you don't want people to immediately ridicule your game for being a waste of money. You would probably make the game a bit longer than normal. You might do that. You might make it a tiny bit harder than normal, so you get a bit of personal satisfaction because you're not having the raucous, like, friendly satisfaction of playing with a, with somebody. So, I mean, it, it almost seems like maybe some of these... So a lot of this game maybe was intentionally built the way it was, maybe to compensate for some of the other things that aren't in the game. Mm-hmm. Because as much as it is fun to play with a friend, you know, Dark Souls and Bloodborne are pretty awesome as single player games. That's true, but when you got a guy helping you out, they're a lot more fun. Yeah, I mean it's it's one. I don't know. It's weird because you you mentioned. When he tries to make a classic survival horror game, yeah, it's going to be a lot more scary when you're by yourself. Um, the 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 thing is, and I hate to say this, but I think there's a reason why classic survival horror games aren't around anymore. Mm. And I, I don't know. Maybe they've. I could be talking out of my ass. I don't know. Um, it's just my observations. You know. The prime example, we were talking about it before we were recording, Operation Raccoon City. Fucking fun-ass game. But if I was playing that single player, I'd have a bad time with it. 
you know, but, but I mean, those games were built for co-op, but I mean, the thing is, is that you, you look, you can look at a single player game now and say, you know, this would have been a lot of fun if I, if I had a, had a friend with me, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. I, I think games are evolving and you, you play a game like the evil within and it feels almost like it's, it's from another time. To me, but, at least. That, that's true. But you... I would be... It would be a sad day for me if the conclusion of this conversation was they should never make games like this anymore. No, no. That, that's not that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying... I don't know what I'm saying. It, it's... <laughs> because one might have said the same thing when it came to 3D games. You know, they shouldn't make 2D games anymore. It's less immersive. It's boring. You know, and, and even today, you get a game like... Well, I haven't played much of it, but I know you liked it. Shovel Knight. Shovel Knight's fucking amazing. You know, that That's fairly classic-style game. That is that is straight up you're playing an NES game. It's... I mean, maybe, maybe it's not a fair comparison because you can get away with a lot more ideas like you know an idea will ride this game to its completion when it's an indie game that costs 15 bucks as opposed to a 60 dollar game where they may have to be a bit more conservative yeah i mean that that's i think that's kind of beside the point i mean i think someone likes playing on nostalgia and maybe the evil within is trying to play on nostalgia for you know resident evil 4 and even some of the the earlier resident evil games i don't know it's, I don't know, it, I don't know how, yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about this game. It can either fit today as a game that's archaic and didn't really get with the times, or it can stand out as a game that's an intentional throwback that's successful. So, I mean, it, basically, the intent was clearly to make a classic style game. Yeah. And then, you know, the only other part of that conversation is really, was it successful or not? Did it do that well enough to not need the trappings of 2015 games? That's true. And uh, to me, the jury's still out on that. That's what I was about to say. I said, for me, yeah, I don't know yet. I mean, I'm not having a bad time with it. But I'm not having an outstanding time with it, you know. It's not like whenever I played Resident Evil 4 for the first time. Yeah. And I don't know why. Well, I mean, Resident Evil 4 was pretty pretty fresh when it came out. I mean, that did a lot of new stuff. I mean, it looked different. Even the camera style was different. You know, that that was not a throwback game, even though this is throwing back to be similar to that. Yeah. So is this so could we chalk this up to being I don't know, the evil within is is try trying to do something it that that's kind of went by the wayside? Yeah, it's tough. I mean was it a bad idea to start with? Is it an admirable idea that didn't quite pan out? Or does it stand alone? Is here's the if you want this, this is the only game like this. 
right now. That's yeah. new. Yeah, I mean that's true. I mean you don't you don't see these kind of games anymore. You know, like I said, the last game I saw in this the same kind of vein would be Shadows of the Damned. Yeah. Um, and that was you know that was a few years ago now, but I mean, and that was Mikami, but I don't know. It, huh. I, I don't know how to. F- I don't. I don't know what I feel about this game. I mean, I, I'm not like I said. I'm not having a bad time with it. I think it's. I think it's decently made. Um, it has the, the the trappings of a of a good Resident Evil game. It's, but you're just not sure if you want that anymore. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Is like uh, you know, if they made Resident Evil Four Two, you know, oh Revelations Two was is a is a good example that came out this year. Yeah, and uh, I have the whole season, and I've made it through the the, the second episode, and haven't played it. I, I don't know why. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed what I played of it, but it was just one of those things where I was like, I think the, part of it was there was a lot of games coming out around that time too. But I don't know. I, you know, I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm moving on from those games. Maybe I'm moving on from the classic survival horror games, which is a sad thing to say because they were one of the games that shaped what I like to play. Yeah, you know? I certainly. Mean, and at the same time, I mean, we see what has happened to Resident Evil in recent years. You know. So, do you know how this game did commercially? I don't know. I can probably look it up on. Um... I've got it up here. I mean, maybe this is sort of conversation that's best left for the last episode, but that's true. But I mean, we're talking about it now because we're still we're trying to figure out should we play this game. Recommended. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I for me, this was a, like like I said in the first episode, it's a Shinji Mikami game. I knew I was going to buy it. I knew I was going to play it. To yeah. me, that was never a question. But what I recommended to other people is sort of what I am unsure about. Well, let's see here. As far as sales go, this is from the Wikipedia page. It says The Evil Within was the second best-selling game in the United Kingdom for all formats during the week of its release. In the United States, it was uh, the game was the third best-selling in October of 2014. Uh, the game set the record for the highest-selling first-month sales of a new survival horror intellectual property. But That's the a lot of qualifiers, by the way. That that is true. Uh, but uh, but the record was broken by Dying Light, which released in January of this year. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people played this game. I know, uh, Justin Salani, who is, uh, who works at the website with us, he, he was totally on board with this game. I mean, he, like, he had been following it since it was announced. He's a huge survival horror fan and he, he did like a complete walkthrough of it on YouTube. Um, I mean, he, 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 he fucking loved that game. I know he owns it on every fucking system. Um, and you know, good on him. I mean, it's it, there was a lot of people who really liked this game. Hell, Game Informer gave it a nine out of ten. So I mean, it's it's not a bad game. You know, it's it, it to me, it just feels a little too formulaic. Yeah. At times, I don't know. Like I said, jury's still out on that, and I don't really know what to say. I think I'll have a lot to say whenever I beat this game. Or yeah. then, or then again, it may—I don't know. It's either a 
this game is not going to have much of a story or a reveal at all. And I'll be like, this is complete ass. Or B, it will have somewhat of a story. And I'll be like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to be the second option. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think it's the worst game we've done for Halloween, if that means anything. I should hope not. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it a shit ton more than Anna <laughs> yeah. and uh, Siren Blood Curse. Yeah. Although Siren Blood Curse and this, there's a lot of correlations to, that, to these games. Yeah, I mean, you can almost give Siren Blood Curse a bit more of a pass. Because, you know, nobody really expected much out of that. I mean, I had to buy my disc copy from Japan, right? I don't think that came out on disc here. It didn't. It did not. It was only a downloadable game, which immediately, I think, sets, you know, rightly so or not, I think it sets the expectations a bit lower. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Wait and see till we finish it. I mean... We're still sort of right in the thick of it, and we we know it's a bit longer than the average game of this style. So, if there's going to be a weak point in my mind, it would probably be the middle. Yeah. And to be fair, I thought it started really well. You know, I thought it was very interesting at the beginning. And if they get it on track and it ends well, you know, the swampy middle is just sort of Maybe not as big of a deal as it would be if, let's say, you dropped the game today and never touched it again. Yeah, it'd be. You know, it's... This was your last impression of it, was this pointless middle section. Yeah. But if it ends well, you know, a lot of a lot of these middle sins can be forgiven, I think. Yeah, it's, it's like you said, this, this stuff that we did, that we just did is basically filler. Yeah. So, we'll, um, we'll see how it goes. But, uh, I think I'm going to cut it off there. We do have an email that I want to read. And uh, this email comes from... uh, I'm going to fuck up this name again. Dara. Or maybe Dara. I think it's Dara. Anyway. Dara writes in and says, Hey, Drew and Matt. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I'm just writing up this email, Drew. uh, While listening to your intermission... As you describe your lack of engagement regarding Uncharted and Tomb Raider. I think I kind of understand where you're coming from. I love these games. I like their story. But honestly, I find that the gameplay is more bare bones than what I would like. In climbing sections, I find myself just mashing the jump button to get through to progress the story. Shooting can feel like padding. When I finish these games, I have great memories regarding the story, but don't think I could go back uh, and trudge through them again. Kind of like both of your experiences with replaying Snake Eater. It's a weird comparison, but after gaming for so long, I'm starting to only want games like Metal Gear Rising, Devil May Cry, and Dragon's Dogma. They feel like old-fashioned gameplay-focused games. Um such as Contra or Castlevania, and brought into modern day in three dimensions. Um, This is uh, reiterating your comment of gameplay over story over graphics. There are times when I play games where it seems like a chore. 
maybe I'm just getting too old for games. Anyways, thanks for keeping the show going. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much for that email. And in regards to... I think we all evolve in our gameplay styles and our, in our game choices too. You know, I, I can most certainly see it in me. I've become a role playing game person. I, I, I prefer those over anything now. Um, for a time I was big into first person shooters. You know, I played call of duty two, call of duty four, a lot, tons that and um it was uh, the one of the games that really got me into role playing games um both traditional and 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 non-traditional uh Dragon Age was one of them got me really into it Mass Effect was another one Yeah um, Mass Effect for me was a was was just so huge Mass Effect was 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 a was a very interesting thing because I played Mass Effect one, and that game was so fucking buggy, yeah. That, that I did not want to play. It took me a while. So Mass Effect, I bought that game day one because you know everybody saw that fucking E3 demo of and how realistic it looked and you talking to guys and you know like the conversations and stuff. And I was like, man, I gotta get this game. And then how buggy it was, and I didn't really want to finish it. In fact, I put it on the shelf after getting about halfway through it and didn't beat it for like another year. And then when Mass Effect 2 came out, I was like, ah, I don't even want to play it. I eventually did play it, and I was like, well, this is fucking fantastic. But Dragon Age was what really got me, because as I've said before, and when we covered the Dragon Age series last year, I'm a fantasy person. I always kind of have been. And I, I, I love, you know, knights and and wizards and stuff like that, Dungeons and Dragons, that kind of thing. And that really, really took it to a whole nother level. Um, because I had played Bioware RPGs before, but I I never really got into them deep like that. Um, mm-hmm. But with Dragon Age, I really did. But the other game, it kind of got me back into it because I I was a huge Diablo two fan. Um, when I was fifteen. I played nothing but Diablo 2 for an entire year, it seemed like. Um, and those games kind of went by the wayside. You didn't see many isometric loot-driven games. But then a little game called Torchlight came out. Kind of found out Torchlight was actually made by the two guys who created Diablo. And I... I saw it from the beginning. They said from the creators of Diablo. And I was like, okay, I remember Diablo. Diablo 2 was great. And uh, I actually pre-purchased it on Steam. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to give this a shot. And that was when, like, yeah, like I'd already played, like, Dragon Age and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm really into RPGs. But then whenever I sat down and played another isometric loot-driven game, I was like, fucking, I'm, I'm addicted to these games again. You know, Torchlight was a, anybody out there who has not played Torchlight, play Torchlight. Even if you're not a big RPG fan, that game is so fucking well done. And it, like it, the the big the biggest drawback to that was there was no multiplayer. You know, and that was the big thing that everybody talked about, which they fixed in Torchlight Two. 
you know, Torchlight 2, you can, you, you can jump on with your friends, stuff like that. And then, of course, Diablo 3 came out, and that was a complete obsession with me. Um, and I don't know. It's one of those things where I like story-driven role-playing games. You know, like The Witcher seems like it's right up my alley. Um, and Mass Effect, obviously, and Dragon Age. Those those games fucking reign supreme to me. You know, like, like I said, I'm not the biggest Mass Effect fan. I like Mass Effect a lot, um, but I'm just not a sci-fi person. Dragon Age to me is one of the best. It's one of the best fucking worlds I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's two of the top worlds. Yeah. Mass Effect Universe and Dragon Age. I mean, the, those two games alone are, are are make up a large portion of my favorite moments in all RPGs. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's one thing I have to give Bioware is that they know how to make a world, you know, and that, that was... And populate that world. Because, again, Mass Effect is an, is a good world, but the reason I, that I hold that game in such high esteem is the characters. So, you know, I don't even know where that fits when it comes to gameplay versus story versus graphics. I guess it's mostly story, but when you're doing your missions specifically because you care about the characters, that's sort of a nice little fusion. And uh, I, I, I don't know. Again, it's been, yeah, I've said it before, but, you know, th- those characters are really the linchpins of that game for me for dragon age it might even be the world as much as the characters but in mass effect it's very much characters first and world second yeah i think mass effect has the better characters um dragon age has some great characters in them but a dragon age is lore and yeah. world is fucking crazy i mean they you could it's like they sat down and wrote like five books and then create a game about it. Yeah. It doesn't feel like Game of Thrones, but it feels as well fleshed out and populated as that universe. Yeah. But, um, so I got to ask you this, man, because I don't think we've ever discussed this before as far as Mass Effect goes. Um, in the first Mass Effect, I mean, your, your Mass Effect story, who'd you have with you, Ashley or Caden? Uh,. Ashley. Ashley. I hated yeah. that woman. <laughs> I didn't really like either of them. I didn't like either of them either, but Ashley, I, God. I was going to save Caden just because I didn't want anybody in my game to think I was a sexist. Like, oh, I'm just saving the hot chick. <laughs> um, but then I really just decided I didn't like Caden, so I let him die. Kate, yeah, Caden is, is a whiny little, little bitch. Um, but Ashley is just a, an asshole. And a racist. And I was like, you know what? You're going to take one for the team, actually. So, but yeah, I had Caden with me. And then I broke his heart when he hit on me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I like blue chicks. <laughs> that is like, I, I get into those. That's what, one of the great things about Bioware RPGs is that I get into the whole, I'm going to stick with this. This is my story kind of thing. And, you know, I, I my shepherd fell in love with um, God. What was the blue chick's name? Liara. Liara. Yeah, and he fell in love with her, in the uh, or she did. Excuse me. Uh, my uh, my my shepherd was a woman. Uh, she fell in love with uh, with Liara, 
And then in the second one, you didn't see her that much, but you did see her in the DLC, the Shadow Broker. And I confessed my love to her there. And then in three, we were like, yeah, we're, we're steady now. <laughs> so I was like, yes, this is how I want it. I got it, to, I got it perfectly how I want it. And I don't want anything to fuck it up. And with Dragon Age, I was kind of the same way. You know, I, I role played my characters. And that's what I love about those games. It's you can, you can totally role play them. You know, a lot of people play games and like, oh, what would I choose in that situation? No, what my, and me, as far as my role playing goes, and I guess it comes back to my Dungeons and Dragons stuff, you know, I'm not asking, I'm not thinking, what would I do in this situation? I'm asking, what would Lifty Fernandez do in this situation? <laughs> you know, yep. or something like that. And I, that's why I love about it because they give you those options, you know. Anyway, that was a tangent, but, uh, yeah. Bioware RPGs, you guys should play them. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. That, back to the question, that's sort of my evolution in games also. I mean, What's... I never played RPGs before when I was younger. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, do proclivities change as you age? I think certainly. I don't know that I will ever completely leave behind my favorite styles or types of games. In the same way that I will never leave behind 90s rock music. Yeah. It's integral part of me and nothing that I ever hear from now until the day I die, I think, will I cherish as much as the music from the 90s. Cherish as much way, as Matchbox 20? Well, I would say not, <laughs> that would not be top of the list. <laughs> Uh, don't worry about it. I know you, you mentioned before that you, you were a big fan of Matchbox 20 back in the day. Everybody was. They had catchy tunes. But, yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, yeah, the, the, the Fallout 4, man. I'm really hyped for that game now. I just hope it's not going to be a buggy fucking mess. Because we all know how Bethesda is. <laughs> yeah, history says it probably will be. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see, though. I'm always more of an Elder Scrolls person, though. Because I like fantasy. But, you know. Yeah. I still think it's funny how many years I basically would have said I don't agree with that statement. I do not like fantasy. Was there a reason why? I don't think there was a particular reason. Were you just, were you, were you associating all of it with Lord of the Rings? No. It was more, my impression was just that stories told in that setting tended to be trapped. And I don't really know even how to explain that or. You know, I, I don't even think that that's true anymore. But I think at the time, my problem was, I feel like I know what I'm going to get, and nobody's going to get into a situation that really matters because there's always going to be somebody who can just fling some magic at the problem and fix it without any logic going into it. You know, I, I don't, I don't really have a good reason. I was just always sort of turned off by the aesthetic, hmm. and I just, I. I felt like whenever I started to take in a story in whatever medium that it was going to be all events and it was going to be all like, you know, I, I love dragons as much as the next person, but in my mind, like every 
traditional fantasy setting story was going to be the same story, just with different twists. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I I don't really think that's true anymore. And, Basically, between Game of Thrones and between Dragon Age, you know, I'm 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 back on board. I don't want all fantasy, but if you tell me this is a good game, movie, story, TV show set in a fantasy world, I'm in. Cool. For for, for a long time, that wasn't true, but how well, it is. I like to think I influenced you into liking fantasy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> don't give me that much credit. But uh, you know, it's it's one of those. Oh yeah, I was uh, I was a big. The thing was was that I, I I didn't even play Dragon Age when it first came out. I played Dragon Age like a like a. It was probably six months before Dragon Age Two came out. I was like, I picked up the Ultimate Edition. I saw it on sale at GameStop. I was like, yeah, let me give this a shot. I was like, cause I, I played Mass Effect, stuff like that, and I was like, I'll give it a shot. And, um, man, fucking fell in love with that series. You know, and that, like, nobody was, truth be told, nobody was really talking about it at the time. You know, when, even whenever it came out, I was like, this is, you know, it's one of those RPGs. Okay. But you know, I, I've always been into fantasy because you know, like, you you know how much of a reader I am, and that's that means I don't read. Um, but one of the one of the few books and series I've read was Lord of the Rings, yeah. and when before the movies came out, you know, I would I I had read them when I was probably early teens, um, and I fucking love those books, you know, and um. There was just it that that was one of the things I was like, yeah, this is this is really really cool, you know. And so I, that it's always kind of been near and dear to me, and I think it always will be. I've always just you know, sci-fi, sure. I mean, I like sci-fi too. Yeah, you know, I'm a big Star Trek fan, and you know, like I watched Star Trek Next Generation with my mom. My mom was a big Star Trek fan, and um, when I was a kid, that's what you know I watched that. So it's 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 one of those things I like I, I dabble in both, but I prefer fantasy. So it's always something about it, it's weird because it's like it's like a combination of something that's really old, like a guy in armor and a sword, but then there's also this mysticism with like magic and things like you, things that you've never seen before can happen with it, you know. So, but anyway, yeah, let's let's. Let's get off that tangent. I appreciate the email. Uh, you can send us all emails. Uh, it's true at ZTZD.com. You can talk about the evil within or anything else you'd like to talk about. Uh, we'll read them on the show. Uh, also, you can follow us all on Twitter. I'm at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS. And the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. And um, yeah, that's about it. Thunder in Paradise. Two episodes are up. Um, I went back and listened to them uh, partially last week and partially this week. We're idiots. We we are really really dumb. <laughs> oh, and there's so many there's so many small things that I didn't realize. Like while I was I was there live, and there was just so many like little things that were said that I didn't even catch. 
like uh so i was i was the one obviously i'm the dm and i was i was showing um joel how to make his character and then alan was sitting there and uh joel asked me said what's my ac and i was like all right i'm looking that up right now and then Alan chimed in and said, your AC is, uh, and then Joel just, <laughs> Joel just said, I don't trust your information, Alan. <laughs> like the way he said it, it was like such a slap in the face. <laughs> and I didn't even fucking catch on that live until I went back and listened to it. <laughs> I had to tweet to Joel saying, Dude, did you listen to this shit? It was fucking hilarious. And of course, Alan like fucking farting on the, like on the, the mic. And everybody heard it, and then everybody's like clearing out the room and, <laughs> and shit. And I was like, "Dude, we're fucking recording right now." <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're we're a bunch of idiots, and I I'm really excited to actually play D and D with them and record that, and hopefully everybody will get a kick out of it. Um, I think I have a pretty good story, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, Matt, you wanna you wanna talk about your show? Yeah, it's sort of. Uh... It's sort of in its nascent stage. Um, basically, as we're gearing up for this month's NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, um, as the quick reason, basically, I've done it the last four years in a row. My first two years, I would consider successes, even if I failed by NaNoWriMo standards. I wrote a lot of freaking words in two totally different stories. Fantastic. The last two years in this endeavor have been pretty miserable failures. So, you know, I have a couple of guys who also like to write and sort of wanted to get them together and chronicle our trip through November. So we have a a podcast series, probably only going to be seven, eight episodes. Um, sort of getting ready for November once a week during November and then a wrap up episode or two after. Uh, so we have the first one done mostly introductions, mostly scheduling. There's some good background stuff in there, but, uh, first one's done and should be recording a few more as we prepare our potential novels for November. Okay. And, uh, it should be pretty fun. It's, uh, Myself, Gambus Khan, and a buddy from New York, who we will call Jeff. Okay. Because that's his name. And for anybody who doesn't know Gambus Khan, which, where the hell have you been? His name is Jason Gabriel. Everybody knows him. He's on the world-famous N4G podcast. With me! So... So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I, I've been looking forward to doing this for a while. I was never 100% sure it was actually going to happen. I'm still only like 99% sure. Uh, but we have one episode, and uh, it should be a fun trip to see whether all three of us or any of us can can hit our plan of essentially writing a book in a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a lofty goal. I've not yet succeeded, but uh, I'm optimistic. Taking a little time off in November to dedicate to this. Uh, and then also having a little time around Thanksgiving to dedicate to this. So could be a pretty wild ride. I got a, a good story in mind. I don't 
quite know the details of it yet. Uh, at this point, I was hoping to have it planned, but I don't. Not yet, but uh, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Um, you gonna have you found a way to host it yet? Not yet. So I got the first episode. It's all edited, ready to go. Not sure where to put it. So that's sort of a question that needs to be answered uh, it's at some point. Again, I didn't really, I wasn't planning to post them anywhere until we were perhaps into November. Mm-hmm. Um, just in case something happens and it falls apart or, or whatever. I wanted to make sure it's got some legs before we post them. But <laughs> You sound like me with Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> the first one is good and I listened to it. it. I don't think it sounds that bad, but. Well, there you go. I'm I'm excited to hear it. I I would most certainly like to hear it. So, it when you do get find figure all that stuff out, let me know, and I will make sure to tweet it out to everybody, and uh, they can give it a listen too. Nice. But yeah, that's it for us. I do appreciate everybody listening as always. I hope you guys have a great week. And uh, we will be back next week to finish off the evil within and the spooky Halloween. Ooh, you know, I don't know. This game's not really scary to me. <laughs> yeah, not really. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly a horror game, but yeah, we'll see. But yeah, um, yeah, but we will be back hopefully to finish this game. Um, I'm gonna have to actually crack down on it. And uh, and beat it. Um, it. So let me ask you this, and we, we'll probably talk about it in the last episode. There's three DLCs for this game. Do you think we'll be done with this game when we beat it? Story-wise? I mean, or or, or, or like, I, like, I don't want to play this anymore. You know, I... I don't think I want to replay it. Yeah. But I could see, you know, again, to me, the controls and in, in the moment to moment is fun enough that if you told me here's DLC that's pretty good, I'd, I'd more likely than not want to give it a try. Okay. Whether I would or not, I don't know. I got a million things to do. And, if it, you know, I, I, I probably would like to, depending on how the next few hours of this game play out right but i i'm not opposed to dlc especially i mean i was gonna say especially story dlc but what else could it be there's no multiplayer i from what i understand there is it's two dlcs featuring the the woman detective uh, and the other dlc which is as ken put it unlike any other thing in that game so that one I might be more interested in. But if you tell me there's two related to the female detective, what can you tell me about her as a character? She almost drowned in that tank. That's about it. She was a ploy to make me do something. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, she's she's not a character. She's a basically an NPC. I mean, she's an NPC. You might as well be a zombie. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got way more story out of Joseph than we have her. Yeah, exactly. So I don't maybe if that's their way to flesh her out, that's odd because why would I want to play something after the game for a character I don't care about? 
It could be what she was doing while we were off doing our own escapades. Escapades. Fucking hell, I can't talk. It could be... Yeah, well, while, while, while we're doing our shit, it could be what she's doing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, and then that, it, again, it comes down to if that's well done, I'm all in. Yeah. But if it's just, if it's basically just doing exactly what we did, but with a different skin, I don't know that that's something I'm that excited for. Well, I know Ken um, has reviewed them all. I will read those reviews and, and see what he thought. And I'll let you know. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll discuss it more probably on the next episode. Yeah. Just to see, just in case we're like, eh, we could play through those DLCs. I don't know how long they are. I don't think they'd be over a few hours, but, um, I don't know. It depends on how we feel after we finish this game. Cause I may very well be like, yeah, I'm done with, <laughs> with this. So, but we'll find out. But, That's for uh, next week's discussion. But until then, I am Drew. And I'm Matt. And we're out of here. I hope you guys have a great week. And uh, we will be back next week to finish off The Evil Within.
Escaping the love 